0: New York City Relief is a mobile outreach to those experiencing homelessness that connects people to resources that lead to life transformation. God's love inspires us to pursue oneness with those in need. That means we do things like feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter those without homes, and break bondages in people's lives. We believe that homelessness should be a struggle, but not a life sentence.
1: Right now in New York City, homelessness is a massive problem. There are over 63,000 individuals sleeping in New York City public shelters, and 23,000 of them are kids. So how does New York City Relief play our part in addressing homelessness in New York City? We believe we need to go right to where the needs are. We need to establish a safe place for people to feel dignified and honored. And then we need to journey with people as they move from homelessness into a stable living situation.
0: New York City Relief operates eight outreaches a week. That's almost 400 a year. We have two models of outreach. The first one, the most recognized one, is the Relief Bus. That is our mobile soup kitchen and resource center that goes to the neediest parts of the city.
1: Our second model of outreach at New York City Relief is the Relief Co-op. The Relief Co-op is where we bring our volunteers and our staff into another organization or church where there's already a gathering of folks struggling with homelessness. We meet a felt need, we create a safe and welcome environment, and then we meet one-on-one with individuals who need connection to resources.
0: In the last 29 years, New York City Relief has served over 7 million servings of food and beverage. That's over two water towers full of soup and drink. We've also provided one-on-one care to over 400,000 people. And we did it with over 91,000 volunteers. Our strengths are mobility and consistency. Because we're mobile, we are able to go directly to people. We're also consistent. We show up every week, no matter what the weather, and provide things that lead to long term life transformation. Because everyone deserves a place to call home.
1: Good morning. And it's a pleasure to be with you guys here this morning. My name is Josiah, but don't be fooled by that. I get a lot of uh, comments when I uh, go tell people my name is Josiah. They range across the spectrum of, of, uh, of some people will tell me, you know, wow, that's a, that's a beautiful name, and I'll say thank you. I had very little to do with it. Um... And especially, it's like Starbucks, right? Like you go to Starbucks and they ask you for your name. Like I don't, I can't, I don't think I've gotten it right once. I don't know. I don't know if any of you guys have a fake Starbucks name that you use, um, just to make sure that you can, you know, your cup doesn't disappear. Um, Josiah just isn't one of those names that people typically go to. The other, the other thing I get sometimes is um, people will ask me if. Uh, they'll find out that I'm from central Pennsylvania originally. My parents were, uh, my my family goes back to central Pennsylvania. And so they'll say, oh, Pennsylvania, Josiah, beard, long hair, white guy. You're Amish, aren't you? And then the question is, no, I'm not. I'm not Amish, actually. But I am am an MK. And I don't know if any of you guys know what an MK is. uh, Missionary's kid, as you guys heard this. Um, you may have seen these missionaries' kids at uh, your uh, local therapy office. Um, you, you know, we, we, we all need a lot of extra love and support. Um, but my parents were missionaries in West Africa, so Josiah was a fairly common name amongst my peers. There was like three or four others because um, you know he was one of the only good kings of Israel that we have. I mean, as far as I, as far as I know. So all the missionaries are, are using his name for their children. So I was one of, part of that part of that wave of Josiahs in West Africa. America, right um, my, my dad was a bush pilot he was uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those little like twin engine Cessnas that you know like I don't, it, it goes way back but there was, the, there was these little planes now they're like modernizing and using helicopters and stuff but like back when like the early 80s they had a bunch of like bush pilots who would fly these little planes out and uh, my dad has some of the craziest stories that I've ever heard, like involve him like dodging cattle with the plane, like coming down and uh, having gendarmes in, uh you know, in little huts, like open fire on his plane. And um, so you can imagine my uh, consternation when I told my dad uh, almost 10 years ago that I was feeling called by God to go serve in the streets of New York. And Newark and Patterson and um, when I was I felt like this was the heart of God that I was supposed to engage in this ministry because of everything that Dave shared that um, this is this is the heartbeat of God and I was like Dad I'm going to go into Harlem I'm going to be an outreach leader and my dad goes well, What's an outreach leader I said Well I'm going to be the guy who takes the volunteers into the streets, and I'm going to be the guy who sets up the the sidewalk party, right? I'm going to be the guy who uh, talks to the men and women who are experiencing homelessness and tries to connect them to rehabs and shelters and housing and jobs, and we're going to be out in the streets, and my dad had the audacity to say, well, that sounds kind of dangerous, don't you think? I was like, well, isn't that ironic, Pops? You know, like, no more dangerous than trying to land a twin-engine plane on the dirt strip of, you know, land in West Africa, dodging lightning bolts and bullets from random places. I think I'll be okay, Pops. I think that'll be, I think I'll, I think I'll be all right. I think I'll be okay. And my dad, like, looked, listened, received my word and goes, you know, you're right, um, you know, have fun, be blessed. So I received the blessing of, of my father, which is a, it's a good thing. Um, but the other thing that outreach leaders do, uh, which you may not have noticed, we are mobile, right? We are a mobile outreach program. So we go right to where the people are. Now, we can, mobility is a fluid concept, right? You can have mobility with a bus that you guys can see parked outside. You can have mobility with, uh, like, my dad with the plane. You can have mobility with trains. I take the train into New York quite a bit. Um, but you can also have mobility by walking. I don't know if you know that, but that's, that is possible. So one of the things that we do uh, at New York City Relief, and this is something we do on Friday nights now at, at New York Penn Station as well, is we will walk with volunteers into the areas like Penn Station, where if you've been to Penn Station, you know there are men and women there who are experiencing homelessness. You cannot avoid it. You cannot ignore it. You can't, I mean, you can ignore it, but you can't, you can't deny it, right? You have these people all throughout the station sitting on the ground uh, asking for change. You have people just really having a hard time. Some people have been there for a week. Some people have been there for a decade. And so what we try to do is we try to re- recognize that there is, it takes a lot of comfort and it takes a lot of courage for someone, no matter where they are in their life, to come and ask for help. Right? It takes a lot. I don't know if there's, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one in the room who has trouble asking for help. But I have trouble asking for help. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, can can we, can I help you? I'm much more inclined to take them up on their offer. And so the same thing applies for men and women who are in the street who are experiencing homelessness. We want to go right to where they are. And again, we don't barge in their space. We don't like, you know, like... Like slap them across the face, you need to get off the street. That's not how we roll. Uh, we're just friendly. We walk around, and we see, you know, say hi to them. And and Penn Station's a great location because there's public bathrooms. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been stuck in the city uh, with an emergent situation, but finding a bathroom in New York City or in Newark or anywhere else is a really can be a very uh, you know traumatizing experience. So if you can center yourself where the public bathrooms are, it makes little sense if you're again if you're if you're on foot. Um, so we go to the, the train stations, and sometimes we'll, we'll take teams in, and there was one particular time I was in uh, New York Penn Station, and I was walking around with a team of volunteers. I think they were from, like, Ohio or something. We got teams from literally all around the world uh, who come and serve with us, and I was with this team, and we were walking around, and we were giving out socks to people. We have brand-new socks that are uh, donated to us, and we have hygiene kits, and we have information, and we're walking around, we're giving out those socks, but we've been do- we were doing this in New York for a couple hours, and I, we got to a point where we were like, you know what, we're, we're kind of ready for a little break. We're going to go get some food. Um, I, I figure, you know, we should probably feed our volunteers. You know, I don't want them to pass out on me. So... Um, I, we were like looking around. There's a KFC in, in New York Penn Station. So we you know, we're, we're they're, they're college students or something. So KFC sounds amazing. So we're like, yeah, let's go to KFC. So we turn around and we start walking, and I hear this voice behind me that says, "What you giving out?" And I and okay, candidly, this was not my best moment. This was, you know, again, I, I had just I don't know if you guys I just clocked out. Right, I had just clocked out. I don't know. I had my volunteers. We were hungry. We were going to get some food. We had just been giving out socks and hygiene kits. We had cl- I had clocked out, and all of a sudden I hear this voice, what you giving out? And the other thing I had, the other problem I had within me is I had this stirring of human emotion of, like, judgment. I don't know if you've ever, again, probably I'm the only one. I get it. But I had this this judgment of, like, what do you mean what we've given out? Like, come on, like, bro, like, we're giving out, we're, it's, we're giving what we give, and you get what you get. You know, I didn't say that because I had volunteers with me, and I wanted to set a good example for Jesus, okay? So, I, but I, I turn around, and I, I see this gentleman standing there, and he was one of those guys, again, like I described, who you see at Penn Station, Newark Penn Station or New York Penn Station. He was this scraggly guy. He had a big beard. His clothes were sort of falling off of him. They didn't fit well. He had a hospital bracelet on. Uh, he was unkempt. He was, he was just having a really, really bad day or decade. He was, he was in a bad way. And I saw him, and um, I immediately realized where I was. I was. Volunteers are watching me. I'm setting an example, and I say, okay, um, what's your name? He goes, my name's Henry. I say, well, Henry, we're, uh, we're giving away, uh, we have some new socks here and hygiene kits. Um, so I, I'm hoping to just kind of like do the pass-off, like here you go, have a good day. Uh, you know. But um, then I felt the Holy Spirit uh, speak up on my behalf. I don't know if you've ever done that where you're like, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're saying something, you're like, what am I saying? What am I saying? What am I saying? And, but I found myself saying, we're about to go out to dinner. Would you like to join us? And I'm like, oh. And I knew it wasn't me speaking because there's no way I wanted to have dinner with this guy at that time. But it was, you know, I felt the Holy Spirit leading. So I said, he, and, and he looks at me and goes, where are you going? Like, all right, you're, you're a smart guy. I get it. I should have said like, you know, like Jamba Juice or something. Instead, I said KFC. and He's like, I'm there. I got you. Yeah, let's do this thing. So he and I and this group of volunteers walk into KFC and we end up ordering like four meals, you know, for him and then one for each of us. And, and we're getting our food and uh, we sit down at the table uh, to eat our food. And, you know, everyone's staring at us. Everyone's looking at us like this is a very strange situation here. Um, so they're staring at us and looking at us and we're eating our food. And just as about we're about to dig in, all of a sudden I felt that same spirit, right? The same spirit that said we're about to eat, would you like to join us, said, to me, said can we pray for the meal? Can we say thank you to God for, for what he's provided? And immediately Henry paused and he put his fingers Interlocked, and he closed his, bowed his head and closed his eyes. And we prayed, and we thanked God for the food. And after we prayed, I can tell you the conversation shifted. Because we were all eating the same food. He was eating chicken, we were eating chicken, the biscuits, the biscuits. Like, we were eating, we were all of a sudden having this time of fellowship. And, and Henry started at, telling us about his life. And it turned out that Henry, when he was three years old was staying with his grandmother. Uh, and she had a third floor apartment in one of the a projects uh, building in, in one of the bigger cities down south. And um, But there were no bars on the windows. And as a three-year-old Henry fell out of the window and ended up with a traumatic brain injury. And since then, uh, has never been the same. He suffers ongoing seizures. Uh, he suffers from mood swings. He suffers from... Um, just his life has never been the same. And he has never managed to make progress in his life. And now, you know, 30 years later, he's in the streets of Penn Station um, telling this group of strangers at a table about his life. And I can tell you that at that table, there was this shift in the atmosphere, there was this shift in sort of the hierarchy of the relational dynamics, right? Like no longer was it like the, the do-gooder Christian, do, you know, inviting the poor homeless guy to a free charitable dinner on his, on, you know, to, to make himself feel good. Like that dynamic was gone. And no longer was he the guy, you know, the homeless dude who was dependent uh, and and trying to hustle his way just for every scrap he can get, because he knew he could eat as much as he wanted, and he was just enjoying the fellowship, the time, and, and at the table is where we experience equality and empathy, compassion, and contentment. And my word for you guys this morning, my word for us this morning is that I believe when we make space at our tables, when we make space at the table, whatever that may look like for you, when we make space at the table for the poor, God makes space at his table for us. I want to start uh, this morning by looking at a section of Scripture with you guys. And um, it's from Luke 14, verses 1 through 14. And we're kind of going to work, work through this uh, section of Scripture, sort of ch- like section by section. So we're going to start with Luke 14, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it. I'm reading from the NLT, but, um, you know, it wasn't actually originally scribed in the NLT. It was written in a different language, so it's okay if you're using a different version, but you can look up on the screen as well. Um, and I'm going to read through the, script, the, the scripture in section, and then we're going to talk about how, that, uh, how we're, how we, how we're going to break it down a little bit, how it affects, um, give some thoughts on it. So it says in Luke 14, verses 1 through 6, it says, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, And the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out. Again, they could not answer. So this section of scripture opens with Jesus being invited to a table, right? Jesus is invited to the table of a prominent Pharisee, religious leaders. Jesus is is, is at the table with these teachers. And we all know, if you read the scriptures at all, or if you have any engagement with the scriptures at all, Jesus had constant conflict with these people. There was constant tension because Jesus seemed to think that he could do things a little differently than the way they understood the law to say. So the healing on the Sabbath was something that they really took seriously and they were really offended by. And so they were inviting Jesus to their table. But the first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus was a pretty smart guy. Jesus, like, again, whether you believe he was the son of God or not, you can acknowledge that he was an intelligent man. And it's not every day that you and I, as a smart guy or smart woman, would accept an invitation to somebody's house who is diligently trying to ruin me. Right? Because it says that they were, tr- they were watching him closely. It says that watch- these Pharisees were watching him closely. And i got to tell you, that's kind of interesting. As a Bible nerd, I'm a kind of a Bible nerd, in Mark 3.2, Luke 6.7, and Luke 20.20, 20, this is the exact same Greek word for watching them closely, and it's paratereo. Now, the funny thing is that in all every other section of Scripture, that, that expression, that exact word is followed by the line, so that they could trap him, or so that they could accuse him. They were not watching him closely because they were just curious. They were watching him closely because they wanted to take him down. And Jesus, again, was not an idiot. He was no fool. He knew they were watching him closely, and yet he accepted their invitation to the table anyway. And i got to just pause for a minute and say, that is incredibly good news for me. That is incredibly good news for me, and maybe that's incredibly good news for you. Because maybe you're sitting here or maybe you're watching and you're thinking to yourself, I'm here, but I'm here for all the wrong reasons. Maybe you come here because you think you should. Maybe you come here because you always have. Maybe you come here because your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, spouse, whatever is dragging you here. Maybe you're here because you made a wrong turn somewhere on, you know, 78 and you just thought you'd ask for directions and now you're sitting in the back going, what is this place? But it doesn't matter. That's the beautiful thing. Because your intentions do not determine Jesus' acceptance of the invitation. Whether your intentions are good, bad, neutral, otherwise, Jesus will accept your invitation to the table. I know that sometimes I assume that my motives... My motives will determine whether or not Jesus will accept my invitation, when in reality, it is my motivations that are more likely to determine if I accept his. So I want you to hear this Jesus will accept your invitation regardless of your intentions. So there's a guy there in this room who's sick. He's sick. He's not doing good. He's having a bad day. And in that culture, being sick was sort of like a curse. If you were sick, you were sort of put in this position where you were. it was assumed you were to blame for the sickness. So if you, this guy was there, and honestly, it's kind of interesting. I don't even know why or how this guy got in the room. Right? Because if your guy is a sick guy, if your guy is being cursed by God, and you're in this room with all these religious leaders, that would be problematic. Because God forbid you actually, they accidentally brush up against him or something. All of a sudden, they are unclean, and you know that they were judging him along the way. So I have no clue how this guy got in the room. Maybe it was a setup. Maybe he was related to one of the hosts, you know, the kind of like the, you know, the, the, the person in the family, the, the black sheep of the family. Maybe he was there as a plant. We don't know. But either way, Jesus just heals him. And I want to point out this, the, 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 the reality that sometimes we assume that the poor and the broken are always in the other room. Sometimes we assume that the poor, the broken, the sick, the people who need a touch from Jesus, they are always out there. And I think that's a general assumption in Christian circles and sometimes we miss out on the fact that there is poverty all around us. I guarantee that there is poverty in this room. Now, it, again, may not even be what we think of when we think of poverty. It may not be you know, homelessness, financial problems. Maybe it's, you're, you're, not, you're not begging for anything. Maybe you're doing actually pretty well financially, but maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe there's somebody next to you who's going through a, like, a terrible divorce. Maybe there's someone in your family who's dealing with a diagnosis that is just wrecking them, and they're struggling to understand where God's presence is in the mess, and maybe there is somebody that you need to invite to your table who is poor relationally, poor spiritually, or poor emotionally. It's fascinating to me that Mother Teresa, some of you guys have heard of Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa is famous for working with the dying and the destitute in Calcutta. Like these people were the poorest of the poor, literally dying in the street. And yet it was Mother Teresa who said that loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted are the most terrible forms of poverty. Who are the poor that are around you? Who are the people that God is leading you to invite to your table? So it goes on in verses 7 through 11. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner party were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then your host, who, then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus just goes right for the jugular. First he heals this guy, then, like by touching him, then he he basically you know, addresses the poverty in in, in the room. And then you know, he's saying, like, no, 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 you guys, you guys have got it all backwards. You're trying to exalt yourselves. You're jockeying for position. You're jockeying for position. You're trying to one-up somebody. And he says, don't one-up. Go for the lowest place because if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you are going to be humbled. And the irony is that this is... Not just Jesus teaching. This is Jesus' life. There was a time we have a, a sponsor or a partner organization that's called Bombas. Have you guys ever heard of Bombas socks? The Bombas sock company, um, and we we love them because they they just give us thousands and thousands of socks. Uh, every year, and it's amazing. They're all h- really high quality. I'm wearing Bombas right now. I know that's maybe a bit of a, too much information, but um, so Bombas socks Company. They actually had, a, uh, they had a, a, a Thanksgiving feast that they threw to celebrate their joining up with the Muhammad Ali company. Um, last year or two years ago. And they ended up uh, throwing this feast at a, like a loft party in Manhattan. And they were gracious enough to invite some of our staff to go to this party. Um, I, you, may not, you, know, be, you may just be able to tell this, but I'm not really the loft party kind of guy. That's not really my jam. Um, but you know, Bomba's invited us. And so we're like, hey, this, can't, this won't be too terrible. Why not? Let's go. And then they, to make it better, they said, why don't you invite someone from the street to come with you? why don't you invite one of your guests who you serve at the relief bus to come along to the party? And I was like, oh man, this is amazing. That's the best thing ever. So I invited a friend that I had been working with for several months, and he was currently, at the, at the time, he was at the rescue mission downtown lower Manhattan. So he met us in, at the party in, in near Penn Station. We went up the elevators. We were in the mingle, you know, they, these loft parties. And you may not know this, but I didn't know this. They have like the staging area, and then they have the real party, right? So now the catch, though, is that I was planning, it was a long day, it was a Tuesday those are my long days and I was like I'm going to try and get out of here early. I'm going to try to like mingle and then bounce, right? Have you ever, I don't know, am I the only one who's done this as well? You know, where you like try to say hello to enough people that you don't have to say goodbye. Have you ever done this? Um, you know, you're like, hey, touch points, you know, trying to like, so that way when you leave, you'd be like, hey, I was there. I don't know what the problem, you know, I, I saw you, you know. Um, so I was with him and I was mingling. and But I, he was having so much fun. But I was about ready to, to, to hit the door. I was like, okay, I've, said, I've made my presence known. I'm about ready to go. And then my friend looks at me and goes, hey, what table are you sitting at? I was like, I don't, table? And he goes, yeah, and he pulls out his, his, his little name card. We had name cards, and there was a, another whole another area, and, and I didn't realize this, and I pulled out the card, and it said, Josiah Haken, New York City Relief, table one. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not leaving the party early. <laughs> I had no idea this was gonna happen, but they sat me and my friend at table one with the founders of the company and with Mrs. Ali. And her publicist, and it was like the, cameras all around, and it was crazy. It was, but it was this ironic thing where this guy who I took to the party with me was this dude who was in homelessness and dealing with the worst life, time of his life, and yet we had a moment in that party where we were at table one, and I got to watch as he was exalted, I know I was only placed at table one because I had brought my friend along. And I also know that in that experience of watching someone move from humility to exaltation is a miraculous experience. In Philippians 2.3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not require equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus lived what he taught. And he is inviting you and me to table one. If we looked at our cards, right? If we looked at our cards, our name cards for the for the kingdom of heaven, we would understand that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is inviting us to be with him at table 1. The problem is if we're jockeying for position, if we're trying to one up, if we're trying to claw our way to the top, we are going to miss out. We are going to leave the party too early. Like me, you would have been walking out at the door while your name card and your seat sits empty because you're missing out on what God has for you. The truth is that sometimes the best way to get a seat with the highest of the high is to voluntarily sit at the table with the lowest of the low. Luke 14, 12 goes on. Then he turned to his host. Then he turned to look at the host the highest person of honor, the one who invited him. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for, ever, for inviting those who could not repay you. My friends, New York City Relief this year is celebrating 30 years Of existence, we have been around for 30 years. Yesterday, we had a block party in Harlem uh, to celebrate um, the 30th anniversary. Richard and Dixie, our founders, were there, and when they were looking at their Bibles 30 years ago and studying Isaiah 58, they felt called to come to New York City, to come to the New Jersey area, and serve in, in, in both in New York and elsewhere in the name of serving out, the call of God to serve and sit and have meals with the broken and the poor. And the cool thing is that I've seen in the last nine years that I've been doing this, and, and Dave spoke to this a little bit, but the fact is is that when you sit at the table with someone who is experiencing homelessness, there is a, transact, there, is a there is a magical transaction that takes place. There is a cathartic experience. There is a, dare I say, a holy reverent moment when you realize that you are sitting at the same table as someone who is at the bottom of the experience of their life. It's amazing to me how year after year I see volunteers' lives changed, wrecked, blown up because simply they came out and volunteered to sit down at the table. God is there? He says in another verse in scripture. He says, "Where two or three are gathered in my midst, there I am among, there, there I am with you." Right, and it's true that Jesus accepts invitations from malicious and skeptical people, and that's good news for me because my intentions and my Motivations are not always what they should be. And it's true that there's poverty all around us and there's, it's true that, that if you have your eyes open and if you prayerfully look for people in your midst who God is calling you to make space for in your life, he will reveal them to you. But catch this, a big part of the reason that God is calling each of us to make space specifically at our tables for those who are completely broken and isolated from society is because God knows that we need the poor as much as the poor need us. It says in James 2 verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Richard likes to say, Richard Galloway likes to say that the poor are not a problem to be solved, but a portal to the heart of God. I had one experience I want to share real quickly about a guy who uh, a couple years back who was at the bus, the relief bus, he was sitting on the chair uh, by the table and I walked up to him, I was t- chatting with him, I was eating soup and this was, this guy was grizzled from the sun. I don't know if you ever seen anybody who's just grizzled by the sun. He slept in the park a few blocks away. He had one eye that was like just fixed shut um, and he, so he had one good eye and he was scarred and he was uh, a mess. And so I, I went up to him and I said, hey, my brother, is there anything I, can I pray for you? And he said, no. I was like, oh, this is awkward. And then he says, I'm going to pray for you. And that man closed his one good eye and started reciting Psalm 23. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want This is what he was reciting to me, this homeless man who sleeps in the park two blocks away. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, that was one of the holiest moments I've ever had in my entire life. And it was because I sat down at the table because I made space at the table. And so I want to give you guys a challenge. Who is it that God's calling you to invite to your table? Who is God calling you to invite to your table? And it might not be the person you think of. In Matthew 5.3, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Tim Keller, if you've ever read Generous Justice, it's a fantastic book. Tim Keller writes, when Christians who understand, who understand the gospel see a poor person, they realize they are looking into a mirror. Their hearts must go out to them without an ounce of superiority or indifference. Who is God calling you to invite to your table? And secondly, I would say this, if you haven't had the opportunity to serve with us, I would say, please come join our table. Come hang out at our table. It may not be the experience you hope for, it may not be the experience you expect. But one thing I can say is that you will experience God, and God is not predictable, and God is not comfortable. But He is a good God who will transform you. It says in uh, Revelation three twenty, "Look, I stand at the door and knock." If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share and we will share a meal together as friends. When we make space at the tables for the poor, we make space at our tables for the poor, God makes space at his table for us. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and I'm gonna pray and close this out. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for using broken, messed up, lost people like me. God, I pray that every person in this room would, would maybe get the picture of someone in their mind. Maybe it is that neighbor across the street who's going through a really rough time. Maybe it's the, the kid at in the the cafeteria who sits by himself. Maybe it's a family member. God, give us a picture of the person that you would call us to invite to our table and help us to know that in that moment, in that space, you will meet us. God, I pray that this community would be a community of hospitality So be a community that is known far and wide for making space at their tables for the poor and that people would know that they can experience God in a new way at their tables thank you Jesus I pray all these things in your wonderful loving and majestic name Amen Let's stand
0: to the table.